Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, was Punky Brewster too intense for a kid's show? Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And looking at one of the most beloved sitcoms, family-based shows of the 80s, which looking back on, maybe wasn't always that kid-friendly. And you might have been a favorite of yours. Some of these episodes you might have forgotten all about. We're going to look back on everything Punky Brewster. So before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, let's get into it. So the whole thing with Punky Brewster is what do you get when you take a child actor that seems like a cartoon character come to life and then you create a whole show around her? Punky Brewster, if you don't know, was a live action show on NBC starring Soleil Moon Fry that aired on Sunday nights and ran from 1984 to 1988. And it might seem weird why a family show is running on a Sunday night, but we'll get to that in a bit. It told the story of Punky, an orphan youngster who gets adopted and raised by a foster parent. The show would lead to an actual cartoon spinoff called It's Punky Brewster. So I was just personally maybe a smidgen too young to be in the right wheelhouse to appreciate Punky Brewster. When it came out, I was only seven and it didn't feature any transforming robots or battles against Cobra. So it didn't totally appeal to me, but I definitely did watch it. I did see the draw of it and I remember other kids thinking it was a really big deal. So since we were young and there were only like three different networks, there wasn't a lot of options that were catered to us. Punky Brewster did have a significant impact, I believe, and everyone has some memories of it, especially maybe that episode with The Fridge, which we'll get to in a bit. So let's look at the premise of Punky Brewster. Here's the quick rundown. Punky Brewster was actually named Penelope Brewster, and it's a bit of a tragic story that really does pull on the heartstrings. That's one of the definite things and memories I have of the show. Punky's father walked out and then when she was a kid and then her mother abandons her at a shopping center in Chicago. I don't know, is this the best way to draw us in? It was kind of like a Les Mis sort of story, but with pigtails. So Punky is left with her dog, Brandon, and as most kids have access to, she finds an abandoned apartment in a nearby building. Turns out the building is managed by Henry Warnemont, who's a grumpy old widower, but Punky bonds quickly with the granddaughter of one of the tenants. Henry finds out that Punky has assumed squatter's rights in the vacant apartment, and he learns of her whole story and her whole ordeal. The two of them start to bond, but then Punky is forced into an orphanage that's not as fun as the one in Annie's and doesn't have any, as Annie is, uh, doesn't have any singing, doesn't have Carol Burnett. Henry tries to become Punky's foster parent and spoiler alert, he does. So here's some of the cast of the show. Punky Brewster, played by Soleil Moonfry. 
Tiffany Brissett, who played Vicky on Small Wonder, auditioned for the role and was like one of their first choices. I did a whole show on Small Wonder if you want to check that out. Henry Warnemont was played by George Gaines. Betty Johnson was played by Susie Garrett. Cherie Johnson, um, she played, I don't know if you remember her, she played Laura Winslow's best friend Maxine on Family Matters. Mike Fulton, this is played by T.K. Carter. This guy has done a ton of stuff if you don't know who T.K. Carter was. He did voices like on Gem and the Holograms. He was the voice of Rocksteady on Transformers. He was Milo, if you remember the Saved by the Bell predecessor called Good Morning Miss Bliss. He was on shows like 227. He also on Family Matters, he played Ty. Do you remember? That was Laura Winslow's Guardian Angel. He was on A Different World. He was on the Steve Harvey Show. He was on The Nanny. He was on Everybody Hates Chris. And last but not least, he was Monster Nout in Space Jam. It, okay, other fun fact. Jim Carrey actually auditioned for the role of the teacher, Mr. Fulton, but he was seen to be a bit too comic-y, which that's not the most surprising thing you'll probably learn today. There's also a few other reoccurring characters, such as uh, Margot Kramer, Alan Anderson, Eddie Mulvin, and Mrs. Morton. So this is uh, all based, not the story based on, but the name is kind of a real life Punky Brewster. The programming chief at NBC, Brandon Tartikoff, was the one responsible for naming the show, which he did after a girl he had a crush on as a kid. That girl was named Peyton Punky Brewster. And I don't remember ever meeting anyone named Punky, but he had. They actually had to track down the original Punky Brewster in order to get the rights to use her name as the title of the show. Kind of like the, if you remember the movie Meet the Fockers, because that word was a little too obviously close to a expletive, they had to find an actual family so that they could use this name on screen. And I think they tracked them down in uh, BC, in British Columbia, in Canada. There's an actual family named the Fockers. That way they could actually use it and avoid censorship issues. Yeah, you're, you're technically allowed to use any inappropriate name as long as you have someone who's in real life. So... The real Punky Brewster actually appears in one of the episodes, the one called The Search from November 10th, 1985. The, that real Punky Brewster played a school teacher, and the idea is that they wanted to have the real-life Punky and the fictional Punky both appear in a scene together. In that scene, the real-life Punky gets to say the line, Punky Brewster, strange name. So everything coming around here. So here's some interesting production on Punky Brewster and why it was on Sunday nights, which might have seemed a little weird. Like I was saying, I think this falls more into family entertainment as opposed to a kid's show, even though it was really marketed as a kid's show. The reason it aired out in this unique time slot was partly what led to its creation. The Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, actually put in place a regulation that networks had to use the period from 7 to 8 p.m. on Sunday nights for either news programming or family entertainment. This is one of the reasons you saw the wonderful world of Disney at that time, along with shows like the Jim Henson Hour, if you remember that. So the 7 o'clock and 7.30 time slot needed this type of content, but the problem was 60 Minutes on CBS was a juggernaut, so no one wanted to make a news program to go up against it. Brandon Tartikoff, who they named the dog Brandon after, decided to go in the opposite direction and create a show with a spunky youngster who was, again, like that cartoon character come to life. The show debuted on September 16, 1984, and was produced by Lightkeeper Productions, but again, there were a few issues that came up 
about how the show would be broadcast. And this is all down to Punky versus Monday Night Football. So obviously Sunday is big time game day for the NFL. And this caused issues with how Punky Brewster would be broadcast. Uh, this is all this is all an article I found uh, done by Mental Floss. And the regular schedule would be fine until the fall. Uh, then that's when the NFL started up on Sundays. At this point, Punky Brewster started producing 15-minute long episodes because of the real possibility of the afternoon games running late. Football games have screwed up a lot of programming over the years, and instead of having their show joined already in progress, they would have 15-minute shows ready so people could at least catch a full episode and wouldn't miss half of it or whatever. Another interesting thing has to do with one of my all-time favorite shows, Knight Rider. Knight Rider, again, monster hit for NBC, and they couldn't let anything interfere with it. To make sure it would never get overlap with football, they would keep it on in the 8 p.m. time slot, and Punky Brewster would be moved earlier. If there was a late-running game, Punky Brewster would have to take the hit to allow Knight Rider to have a full episode, which I was totally okay with. They made six... 15-minute episodes to be covered on any of these late-running game situations. Another interesting thing in all this was that this was the first time since the 60s that a major network had aired 15-minute shows. Okay, so let's get into some of the stuff that maybe made this not exactly for kids all the time, and that was the intense, very special episodes of Punky Brewster. Do you remember seeing those words or hearing those words on a very special episode, whatever the show was, you knew that the lightheartedness of that sitcom you were used to was about to take a very dark turn. I wonder now if it was writers and producers wanting to get out of that cookie cutter approach that most sitcoms take. But now that I think of it, I'm sure it was more to capitalize on whatever hot topic was in the public's mind at the time to bring in more viewership. Remember, like they were going ahead against the news and if they could um, tackle relevant subjects of the day, they could maybe get in more viewership. And again, Punky Brewster tackled some pretty hefty topics over the course of four seasons with a few that I see as having a pretty damaging effect on a lot of kids who are watching. I mean, the premise of the show is already kind of grim, but here, if you don't remember any of these, if you did watch the show, you'll definitely remember them. Or if this is all new to you, here's a few of the big issues they covered. Okay. First, the space shuttle challenger disaster. And there was no way an event this big could be ignored and it seems again a heavy burden for a family-friendly show to have to deal with it but credit to NBC and the writers and producers of the show as they were having to deal with it in the same way that families were having to try to explain it to their kids sometimes collective moments like this can work well if presented in the right manner and on this episode the show worked with actual child child psychologists in order to handle this in the best way possible Buzz Aldrin actually appeared in this episode, and in his book, Magnificent Desolation, The Long Journey from Home, he mentions he wanted to appear to help convey to kids to not let this tragedy prevent them from their dreams, especially if they wanted to be an astronaut. Soleil Moon Fry herself had dreams of becoming an astronaut, then changed her mind after the Challenger disaster. Aldrin and the show's producers thought addressing her real-life anxiety could work as an episode, and they quickly put it together. This would hopefully help viewing children work through the same fears uh, and that there is great risk in exploring, but the rewards are worth it. 
Okay, and I mentioned it before, but the fridge episode. And this, I mean, this episode messed me up. And I remember it very well. If you saw it as a youngster, you probably can recall the same form of anxiety that was created from this very intense episode. Turns out that this episode was used as a publicity stunt in the sense of creating more interest in the show. So there was a contest that had been run in 1985 that was looking for kids to submit story ideas that could be turned into an episode. The winner of the contest came up with the idea about having an episode all about CPR, which truthfully is really a great use of an episode to create more awareness. In the episode, Punky's friend Sherry locks herself in an abandoned refrigerator and Punky has to perform CPR on her. I can still picture the exact scenes of this happening, like where how it was all laid out, where the actors were, everything. Turns out that fridges uh, that couldn't be opened from the inside had been outlawed in 1956, but I think the idea still served its purpose. Again, the thing that I remember taking away from this episode, however, is not about CPR, but the fear and absolute danger of trapping yourself in a fridge or a freezer. And I honestly don't think that idea ever left my mind. Even the odd time when I'm getting something from the freezer, that thought still gets into your head. Like if you get in there, you're not getting out, but you know, obviously all the regulations and things change. But again, shows like this can have a big impact. And there is the story of a bunch of kids who gave CPR to an electrocuted man and saved his life because they had seen this episode of Punky Brewster. That's pretty amazing. Okay. Other topics they uh, covered, this is uh, Henry's issues. So Henry, uh, in the character on the show and the actor, was obviously getting on in years, but the show addressed this. There were episodes where he would suffer from a bleeding ulcer and Punky would have to help him cope with this. There was also the issue with his sleeping pill addiction. And again, Punky was there to take care of this whole thing. She's also doing this while at the same time trying not to be you know, taken and locked up in an orphanage. There's the episode where Brandon the dog gets hit by a car, and I don't know what the hell NBC was trying to do to kids in the 80s, but this episode uh, aired on March 13th, 1986, and centers on Punky's dog Brandon, who's critically injured by a speeding car. So, yeah, it, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know what the intent was with this show, like, like especially on a Sunday night. Here's some of the other things they touched on. There is one where Henry's photography studio burns down. This is what leads to his bleeding ulcer. In the episode Urban Fear from January 5th, 1986, they had a serial killer stalking the neighborhood. This is, this is on family entertainment and prime time. There's the issue of missing kids on milk cartons. And then the usual focus on peer pressure and drug use. But I felt that that was better left for shows like Saved by the Bell. Okay, that, yeah, absolutely absurd. Let's move into other stuff here. Here's the, some more uniqueness in the way in which the Punky Brewster seasons worked. So after the first season finished, Punky Brewster had finished 64th in the Nielsen ratings. Not exactly a smash hit, but it was a big hit with kids, not surprisingly. It's interesting because the main audience was as low as two years old, up to around age 11. So again, I don't know how old you are or were then. I was, what, seven or eight, so kind of in that middle range. At the end of the second season, though, they had produced 44 episodes, but they still hadn't improved in the ratings. 
both Punky Brewster and Silver Spoons just couldn't compete against that mammoth of 60 minutes. And both shows ended up being canceled. The thing was that Punky Brewster had this huge younger audience that was absolutely enamored with her and the show. Punky, like the character of Punky, was getting 10,000 letters a week sent to the show with kids thinking she was a real person. And the kids were opening up about their lives to her. They would ask her for advice and they were sharing some pretty damaging things. So they had a, you know, a real responsibility to the audience that was like growing more out of control than they had anticipated. The other thing, not surprisingly, is, is Punky Brewster merchandise was a huge hit and a massive moneymaker. So they would end up bringing the show back, but in a different manner. They would make a third and fourth season, but do it by syndication. This means they would make the show in a regular way, but wouldn't have to broadcast it on a specific night and basically air brand new shows as rerun. This saves a ton of money, and it's a similar approach to what Small Wonder would do. With Small Wonder, the whole, steer, the whole series started as syndicated, which meant it cost, again, practically nothing. And as bad as the shows may have been, there was no way they couldn't make money. They were always profitable. And that was the same idea, idea with Punky Brewster. The third season of Punky, Bru <laughs> Punky Brewster would be delayed in airing, though, and it wouldn't come out till October 30th, 1987. Again, though, this time it would air like a normal syndicated show five days a week. It was now on regular weekday TV in the later afternoon, and that allowed even more kids to watch it. So that led into the Punky Brewster cartoon. So almost as big as the show, maybe even bigger, was the cartoon show It's Punky Brewster. And it came out uh, at the same time as the show and ran for two seasons and 26 episodes, running from September 14, 1985 to December 6, 1986. The good thing with this cartoon is it featured the real voices of all the major characters, which gives it much more of an authenticity. It also ramps up the fantasy factor and includes a new character named Glomer, if you remember that, voiced by the iconic Frank Welker, who you might know as Megatron. In this show, it's more straight-up fantasy with Glomer being able to teleport Punky and her friends to anywhere on Earth instantly. It had a really catchy theme song and took some of what made the character Punky Brewster unique but ramped up the fantasy and adventure factor, which I think is just what kids were looking for instead of those heavy, anxiety-filled episodes. This was just way more conducive to a young audience who just wanted some form of entertainment Okay, so we'll start wrapping it up here. So a lot is said about how the live action show, again, dealt with a lot of pretty rough topics. And it does seem way into, too intense for a kid's show considering how young their audience turned out to be. But it was kind of a necessary um, structure and setup at the time. So since they were filling this FCC slot, they did have to have educational aspects to the show and like I mentioned earlier they used what was relevant in culture and in the news as the basis for a lot of the shows they were you know because of competing against a massive news program in 60 minutes they were trying to embrace all the relevant topics that we were reading about anyway so it was kind of their way to be a news program you know and kind of draw away some of that audience so I think the idea was you know, we're not going to take the full audience of 60 Minutes, but if we can get the kids of that audience, that's going to be good enough. It was the same approach Arsenio Hall used with his show. He's like, when he came out, he's like, I'm, never, I'm not going to be able to compete against Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show and that audience. He's like, but if I can get the kids of that audience, then I'm in good shape. And he was. 
it's also it was also tough to attract an audience. Um, and if you can draw in more viewership, obviously with a controversial topic, again, you know, they had no choice. There was a good juxtaposition with the show because even with the doom and gloom of some of the topics, it was, if you think back, it was balanced out by the joy and the optimism of Punky Brewster. So in that sense, I think the show and the, the character was a good lesson, lesson in positivity, being unique, seeing the best in life despite the circumstances. Um, very relevant for now, depending when you're listening to this. The character of Punky was always able to find the silver lining, and I think she did motivate and influence a lot of young people while, do, while doing so. Okay, so that'll be it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope you found this episode interesting. I did, you know, just going back and looking deeper and remembering a lot of these things and what made this show stand out. It is one of the hallmark uh, shows, whatever you want to call it, whether it's, I wouldn't call it a sitcom, but, you know, family kids shows of the 80s you might remember it pretty fondly again depending on your age you might have liked the cartoon better but a lot of interesting things as far as even you know the production aspects and the regulations at the time you know when there were regulations on tv and now it's just anything goes pretty much but thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode uh, if you really like it make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts i should be there Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. I think, honestly, pretty much all of them. And again, I, th I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this show. I know there's a ton of podcasts out there right now, so the fact you're taking your time to listen to one, this one means quite a lot to me. But I'll have a new episode coming up soon, so don't you dare miss it. See ya.